Hey there, this is Pastor John Ware, lead pastor of Lifehouse Newport News, a church that exists to help all people experience life change through Christ. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast. We hope it inspires you and gives you perspective to see how God is moving in your life. Now let's get to today's episode. It's all part of the plan. So, so the concept for this series is, is centered on Romans 8, 28 through 20 through 29, which says this here. We're going to actually read this together. It says this here. And we know that in all things, everyone say all. all. God works for the good. Everyone say good. Yes. Of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, and to frankly sum, sum this up to you, it's saying us two things, that everything that goes on in your life can and will be a part of God's plan if you let it. This does not mean that all things are good, though. Let's, let's, let's just make sure of that. We are not saying all things are good, but God is so good, God can take all things and make it work for your good and for his glory if you let it. And the thing is this here, right, it is here's the thing, the ultimate plan of your life, and, and this is what we've got to get, the plan for your life, the ultimate final des- destination, the blueprint for your life isn't anything else besides becoming a certain kind of person. And, and, and what this says to us is the ultimate plan for your life is to be like Jesus, I think sometimes in church we can get confused. What is God's will? What is God's plan? And we can job and people and salaries and all of these things that aren't bad things, but they're not ultimate things. The ultimate purpose and plan of your life, the reason we say it's all part of the plan is because God's plan for you is to ultimately become a certain kind of person, a Jesus-like person to be like Jesus. And if we miss that part, if we miss the, the ultimate end goal, we miss, we, here's the thing, we will misinterpret everything that happens in our lives. Because if something good happens, well, God loves me. I'm, I'm his favorite. You know, but, but then if something bad happens, well, then God hates me. I'm his redheaded stepchild. Like, he doesn't like me. And the bottom line is this. Y'all going to have some good things happen in your life, and y'all going to have some bad things happen in your life. But the bottom line is this, all things can and will work for the good of seeing you become like Jesus if we allow it. So here's the thing. We can't miss the plan. The plan is Jesus. Last week we talked about suffering. And we, we talked about the part that suffering plays in helping to shape us and form us to be like Jesus Christ. If you were not here, I want to beg you, go back and get the podcast and listen to that. I firmly believe that last week's sermon will save some of y'all's lives. Because it's not, when you su- it's not if you suffer, but when you suffer. And Christianity offers 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 us the redemptive plan of, of, of how we can take suffering and make it work for our good and for God's glory if we actually let it. But here's the thing, right? The purpose of, the, the purpose of our lives is to become like Jesus, but as anyone noticed, it's extremely difficult. I mean, good Lord. I've been saved serving Jesus 20 years. And I've been asking over these 20 years, when's it going to become easier? Anyone else here in that boat? You've just seen how hard it is to treat people you don't like the way Jesus did. The people that just get under your skin. 
and how Jesus, when he was on the cross dying at the hands of people he created, while he was on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. That's hard. You're being crucified by people you made. I find it hard when I've got a choice to be generous or not generous. When I have a choice to be sacrificial in my generosity or to be stingy. But I can see Jesus' life and I can be like, I really would love to be like that. But it's hard. Honestly, I have had days where it is so difficult that I find myself even saying, what is the point of this? Like, why am I even trying? I fail so much. I'm like, God, I should not want to cuss anymore. Anyone else there? <laughs> like, God, why? Is that the first thing popping into my mind? It's like, what, you know, and, and it's just like, I thought 20 years in, I should be beyond this. And then sometimes I can get so discouraged and disappointed, and I know you do too. And you can sometimes say, what is the point of even me doing this? Is this just a game? You're frustrated. You, it's, you have this complete lack of joy. It seems like you just consistently fail day in and day out. And honestly, I've seen so many people just give up. And they're like, this is too high. This, is, this standard is too unattainable. And today, honestly, I've... I believe that today could give you a brand new outlook on how change happens. Because I think the whole point of following Jesus that we see, the whole point of us being here today, the whole point of us following Christ is to see change happen. And if it's not, then what the heck are, are we doing? Then we're just a social club. Then we're just a place here gathering and singing. So no, it's like the point of following Jesus is to change. But here's the thing. I want to hopefully today put in you a shift in your mindset that can help you see change happen. And here's the thing. It's not through sheer willpower. It's not by trying harder. It's not by better self-help. It is not about trying harder. And here's the key word here. It's about training better and training wiser. Not trying, but training. Imagine a group of people coming to your home and interrupting your Twinkie, your Twinkie eating, TV watching routine with an urgent message. Good news, we are from the United States Olympic Committee. We have been looking for someone to run the marathon in the Olympics next year. And we have statistics on every person in the entire nation on computer. We've checked everyone's records, their performance in the president's physical fitness test in grade school, body type, bone structure, right down to their current percentage of body fat. We have determined that out of 200 million people on the planet, you are the one person in America with a chance to bring home the gold medal. So you are on the squad. You will run the race. This is the chance of a lifetime. Now is your moment. You are surprised by this because the furthest you've ever ran is from your couches to the refrigerator. But after the first shock passes, you are gripped by the realization of what's happening in your life, that you picture yourself mingling with the elite athletes in the world. You allow yourself to imagine that maybe you do have what it takes. At night, you dream about standing on the podium after the race and hearing the national anthem, seeing the flag raised, bending low to receive the gold medal, all the sponsorships that will come with it, you in Disneyland waving, and all of these things. And you're like, here's my chance 
And this race becomes the great passion of your life. It dominates your mind. It occupies every waking moment. To run the race well, to win it if you can, becomes the central focus of your existence. It is what gets you out of bed in the morning. It is what you live for. It is the chance of a lifetime. And through all of that, that it dawns on you. Right now, you can't even run a marathon. More to the point, you cannot run a marathon even if you try really, really hard. Trying hard can accomplish only so much for you. If you are serious about seizing this chance of a lifetime of running this race, you will have to enter into a life not of trying harder, but training better. You must arrange your life around certain practices that will enable you to do what you cannot do now by willpower alone. When it comes to running a marathon, you must train, not merely try. My son loves Patrick Mahomes. My son's eight years old. As a matter of fact, loves him so much, he's changed the teams he likes. He was a huge Falcons fan, and I'm not even kidding. He became a Falcons fan when the Falcons, back in the Super Bowl, they were up 28 to 3. I don't think Jackson understood they lost. <laughs> they were up 28 3 and blew one of the greatest Super Bowl leads in the history of the NFL. But ever since then, he's been a Falcon fan. Then Patrick Mahomes comes on the scene, and he's throwing no look passes and throwing all these crazy rollout plays and stuff like that. Well, now Jackson, Jackson loves Patrick Mahomes, he loves the Chiefs. And he, now he goes outside, and this is what Jackson's doing. He's running, looking this way, and throwing that way. Because he sees Patrick Mahomes doing it. So Jackson goes outside. He sees Patrick Mahomes doing it. So he says, I'm going to go outside, and I'm going to do what Patrick Mahomes does. And so he's, he's just consumed with this. But here's the thing. This is all good that, that, that he's trying. However, if you put Jackson as quarterback, and he's got 6'5", 330-pound men that can run a 4'740", trying to kill him behind the line of scrimmage, I don't think there's any way when the pressure is on, Jackson can try and try and try all he wants to to be Patrick Mahomes, but the point is, is that whenever the pressure's on, he's going to have to live a life of training to get to that moment that when the pressure is on, he can live up to what he's trying to be. Hopefully you can see where I'm going with this. As many of us have tried, like we have a sincere desire in our hearts to try and be like Jesus. Like good intentions, good motives. And we try and we fail and we try and we fail. But hopefully what you can see today is that many of you have a desire. You read about how patient he is, loving he is. And you try to go out and do that. You're like, well, Jesus, when he was on the cross, he blessed those he hated. I'm going to do that. And then you get to work the next day. And you cussing out the very person you hate. And you're like, I thought I, I was going to, I just, I Ah, I can't do it. And here's the thing. You tried, you tried, but the question is, did you train? I really think we miss this aspect of following Jesus where as being a part 
of God's plan. Yes, God's end goal for us is Jesus, but it's not a one-time experience where you all of a sudden become this loving, peaceful, joyful, kind, gentle, self-controlled person. Anyone else seen that? It takes work. And I think many of you are frustrated because you've been following Jesus a long time and you're literally at that point where some of you here are like, why am I even trying anymore? And it's getting so discouraging for you because you try and you fail, you try and you fail, and you try and you fail. And I think we miss the fact that it's not about trying harder, it's training wiser. I think we miss the fact that Jesus did not become the kind of person Jesus was simply because he was the son of God and was, a, and was gifted with a certain skill set. As a matter of fact, scripture tells us that Jesus laid aside certain divine characteristics and qualities and became like us. He became a human being with, with here's the thing, human temptations and human weaknesses and human frailties. He became like us. We forget the fact that Jesus had a body that he had to control, tame, and train. Here's the thing. We read Luke chapter 2. When Jesus was 12 years old, there's probably the other boys were out playing soccer. We see Jesus was in the synagogue testing the rabbis. He was in there learning. He was in there growing. And part of the only time frame you see in, in Scripture of Jesus' teenage years mentioned, it says this, Luke 2.52, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus was trained. We can also see Jesus when he was, before he entered into full-time ministry, his three-year journey of, uh, of doing what God, his father, had ultimately called, called him to do, went through a season of testing for 40 days and 40 and 40 nights. We can look at Jesus' life and be like, oh my God, look at the life that, that, that he did. And we miss the fact of looking at the kind of training Jesus put himself through to live a life that was so fruitful. And here's the thing, if training and discipline was good enough for Jesus, it's got to be good enough for us. And this is the switch that I think we've got to make today, where some of you are so frustrated. And I believe today that for some of you, this day is going to be a day of freedom, where that weight and burden of you trying and trying and trying and trying and trying is going to be switched, and you're going to start to see certain disciplines and start to see things differently, where you say, I'm just not trying harder, I'm trying to train better. If training was good enough for Jesus, training is good enough for us. We can see Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. We can see Paul was a very disciplined man, and he actually told churches, hey, look, this is the way you got to start thinking. He says, therefore, I do not run like somebody run. No, 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 sorry. The other one's first. The other one's first. You need to switch them up. Yeah, just, there you go. It says this here, do you not know that in a race all the runners run? So what Paul was doing here is bringing out what? Athletics. Talking about this whole race. You know the inner race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into what? Training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like somebody running aimlessly. Can you guys see that? Okay. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. So what Paul is saying here is like, look, y'all see me out here preaching? Y'all see me out here sacrificing? You see me out here in, in prison? You see me giving my life 
for the, uh, the gospel, but this kind of life doesn't just happen. There was a training process that Paul had to go into, enter into, to where he says, to, to, to where he says this, I tell my body what to do, my body doesn't tell me what to do. He says, I am not operated by simply what my, what, what, just by what my flesh like urges me to do. He's not controlled by simple urges. He's controlled by the passion and calling on his life to become like Jesus. He told his protege, Timothy, he said this, train yourselves to be godly for physical training is of some value, but godliness is valuable for all things. He was telling somebody that he was pastorally mentoring. He told them, train yourself for godliness. In other words, this, holiness, being Jesus-like, isn't something you're going to just drift into. Have you seen that? You, you, you don't just, you know, naturally, normally drift into being more Christ-like. It's something where, where you've, where, where you've got to say, I, I need to enter into a certain kind of life with certain kind of disciplines to see the kind of result that I want to see. We can see here Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. Says this here. here. Here's the thing, right? I believe that many of you here have been wondering why you've been in church for so long but haven't grown as much as you would like. It's almost as if you've been saved for 15 years but you have repeated the same process for 15 years. It has been literally the same journey each year for, for 15 years. And you say, I've been saved for this long. Here's, here's the thing. What I've, what I've seen is you have people that have been saved for 25 years and are not fruitful or, or effective at all. Not because they're bad, they're bad people, but because they, they haven't been disciplined. They haven't been trained. And what the writer of, of Hebrews says, says here is, is, is honestly striking and honestly very convicting. He says here, and, 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 and he's talking to a ch- church here. He says this, in fact, though, by this time, you ought to be teachers. He's talking to people in the church. He says, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who, by constant use, have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. What this is saying here is that some people in the church, you, you, should, you should be leading by now. And, w- and one of the biggest things that, that I see in churches that is hindering the church so much is we have people sitting in seats that are just spectators. They're, they're spectators. And here's the thing, a spectator, let me tell you what a a spectator wants entertainment spectators they want to be entertained but not trained and this is a hard word i get it but at the same same time y'all like like we we've got to realize the church is not here to entertain you the worship team the preaching is not here to entertain you we are here to train you. Entertainers, if people come to church to be entertained, the, the very next step for them is to be a critic. 
Because you become a spectator and then you start to be a critic. And, and it, just, it just hurts my heart to see people that have been in church for years, they come into to a, a church or churches, or they go, typically it's multiple ones, and they go and they just criticize. Well, I don't like this. I don't, I don't, I don't, And if you have the posture of being a spectator and saying, entertain me, you become a critic and then you are so busy pointing out other people's stuff, pointing out, well, Pastor John didn't, you know, worship, you know, that the, then you miss the whole point of you are not in church to be entertained. This is not an entertainment. We provide an atmosphere and a structure. That's what the church is built for you to enter into training and get in the game. And I believe we've got so many critics because we got people that aren't doing anything. And I'm not talking about our church. Our church is perfect. <laughs> perfect. No, but but here's the thing. I'm I'm not just challenging like what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to help help you see possibly why you haven't grown in years. It's because possibly a church burned you. Possibly someone burned, 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 burned you. I'm mean, just, you know, there's so many stuff. Church can hurt people. People hurt people. Everyone gets hurt, right? But we can sometimes enter into the church and we're so wounded and we're so whatever that we take on this persona of, okay, the church exists for me now. When, when you're saying the church is supposed to be like a gym where now you say, okay, I'm going to play my part. I'm not here to be entertained. I'm, I'm here to be trained to go out and be accomplished and do what God's, called me to, what God's called me to do. And I am here to be shaped and formed into the image of Jesus. But you can't be shaped and formed if you're a critic and a spectator. And what I believe that Paul is saying here is like, look, some of you should be leaders. Some of you have been going in the same circle, wandering in the same wilderness for 25 years. And it's not because you don't have a desire. It's not because you're not trying. It's because you don't understand that it is not about trying harder. It's training wiser. It's entering into a certain state and certain practice of disciplines to bring out of you who you already are in Christ. So here's the thing. If we switch from being people that don't want to be entertained to trained, you, you eventually enter into the purpose that God has for you because you're submitting your life in God's hands and saying, God, I give people permission to shape and form me. Are you a critic today? Are you someone that it's just easy to sit back and just point and point and point? If you're a critic today, I want to encourage you. Maybe your next step is to stop criticizing and get in the game. We've got plenty of serve teams here. We've got plenty of opportunities for, for you to, in, to, instead of picking out all that's wrong, get your hands dirty and helping us solve the problem. It was funny last week. I was uh, joking because it was a crazy, a crazy rainstorm last, last week, right? I got pastors online begging their people, come to, come to church, please. <laughs> Rain is every pastor's worst, worst nightmare. I'm telling you, man. And you got pastors. We got coffee. We got, a, we got an umbrella. We got, you know, a warm stain. I mean, just... They're just listing every reason, and I'm just like, I get it, I get it. But I'm just like, what an incredible critique of the church when we've got to beg people 
we got to beg people to get out of bed and come into a place where they can hear God's word and worship with God and, and worship with God's people. I, I just think it's, it's an absolutely crazy state where you got people in this world dying for their faith that are being persecuted there in homes because they can't publicly worship. And this is not a, a correction of us. This is a challenge to us. To where are we entertained? Are we trying to be, to be entertained and become spectators and therefore becoming critics? Or are we people that say, I, I, that I want to be trained, whatever I got to do, whenever I can hear God's word, however I can hear God's word, whatever I got to do, I'm getting there. The challenge, though, is this, and really here's just, you want to say, John, I don't have discipline, man. Like, I, I, I've tried it. I've tried growth plans. I've tried Bible reading plans. I start in Genesis. I get to friggin' numbers, and it's like I'm reading all these crazy names of stuff I don't know nothing of. John, I've tried to be disciplined, and I've just not. The point is, you, the point is, isn't if you are, you are, you are a disciplined person. The point isn't whether you are disciplined. The point isn't whether you have discipline. The point is not that because some of you are disciplined at being, undi- at being undisciplined. It's, it's kind of just like one uh, of those things where it's, it's kind of like truth. You know, there, there is no absolute truth. So that's your truth? Some of you are like, huh? Yes. Like, your truth is that there's no truth. So you have an absolute truth that there's no absolute truth. What? Everyone's confused, right? No, but, the, the, but, but, but here's the, like, it's not that you don't have this. You've got, you've got discipline. You just might be disciplined in being undisciplined. There's no point that discipline and training is painful. It's, 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 it's painful because you're trying to break habits. You're trying to break mindsets. You're trying to break stuff that you've done for years. But the thing is this. Training is painful one way or the other. You can have the pain of staying the same for 20 years. And I know that is a gradual pain that you don't feel all up front. But some of, but some of you, you have, had, you, you have stayed the same spiritually. You've stayed the same. And the pain hasn't been too bad because it's been gradual. But at the same time, do you want the pain of staying the same or do you want the pain of change? The option's yours. And my prayer today is that we would be people that, that say, I'll take the pain of change any day. Do you want the pain of change or the pain of staying this, the same? What you need to know is that you don't need to try harder. You need to train better. But here's the thing. What I've seen is there are certain enemies of discipline within churches. Enemies of discipline and training within churches. Ready for them? Ins, ins, uh, inspiration. I'm, I'm, I'm only moving if I'm inspired. I'm only going to start something if I'm inspired. If, if, if only the pastor moves me, he better give a real good talk. He better give, man, if I'm going to give, he better give a good reason. Better give a good offering talk. He better give a good, inspiring reason why I should, right? And, and here's the big, some of you, the biggest obstacle to you living a life of training and discipline is because you crave inspiration. And that might sound weird. But here's the thing, if you're only entering into training whenever you feel inspired, that will last you about a month. That's why you see every new year the gym is packed. And get to February, and the inspiration's left, and the discipline 
Now it's got to take, take over, right? Second enemy, in, second enemy, information. You, you need every detail before you move forward. Everyone. Before you obey, you need absolute clarity. Which I'm like, dude, if your kids only obeyed when they understood every absolute clarity, no. Because you know what's ultimately better for them. You, you know what steps they need. And God is the same, same way. God will ask you to do certain practices, disciplines, and training that you might not see the purpose of it right now, but God sees beyond where you're currently at right, right now. And he gives you what you want, not what you need. Thirdly, and this one is gonna sound so weird, but the third, the third enemy of training and discipline is grace. I've seen so many Christians live undisciplined, Just sin patterns, sinful ways. And what they say is, I'm, I'm covered under grace. Covered under grace, man. Grace fills the gap. And we believe it does. For flat out, we believe it does. We believe grace can fill the gap. Grace can make up for who you are and what you're not. But grace was never given to us to be something that keeps us living in, in undisciplined, sinful ways. Romans chapter six, you know, Paul, Paul was dealing with a lot, a lot of brand new Christians. And there were some Christians in Rome that had this thought pattern. Yo, like God gives us grace. So let's do this. If we sin more, we get more grace. So let's keep sinning. Matter of fact, let's sin more, and God gives more grace. So we're happy because we're sinning. God's happy because he's given grace. Thank you, Jesus. You know, it's like, yes, Lord. You know, and Paul has to kind of correct this whole thing. Romans chapter 6, 1 and 2 here, it says this. It says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. Like sin was killing us. It leads to death. How can we live in it any longer? Paul was, Paul was like, no. Like sin does not, like grace is not a cover-up for your life of being, of being undisciplined. Grace doesn't just save you. It, sus it sustains you. Grace isn't just a, a cover-up. Grace is an empowerment. Because you realize what you've been saved from and called to, the grace you have been given empowers you to, to say, I saw what I was. I saw what I've been saved from. It is an empowerment to say, I want to now walk in the pattern and destiny and calling that, and, and, and here's the thing, lifestyle that Jesus has for me. But I believe so many people just say, it's under grace. Grace is not a license to be, to be undisciplined. It is a motivation to be disciplined. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, said this. He talked about this concept of cheap, of cheap grace. He said this, cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Basically saying, 
cheap grace is you receiving from God new life, eternal life, but saying, God, I don't need you to work in my everyday life patterns. Thanks, but I'm good. No, he says full outstanding grace is you receiving what Jesus did for you and then letting him work in you. Jesus did something for you and Jesus does something in, in you. Here's, here's the thing. Have you seen Kanye West lately? I know there's a, man, Christian circles are blowing the heck up over, over this. I mean, it, Twitter is, Twitter, like, Twitter's a cesspool, man. It's like a train wreck. It's like you go on, on, you go on there and you can't look away. Some are criticizing Kanye. So here's the thing. The, the backstory, Kanye West was Kanye West. You know, he did Kanye West stuff, called himself Yeezus. I mean, you hear some of his stuff. I was actually listening to his brand new album. It's called Jesus is King. And I guess that song finished up and a song from his previous album came on. And I was like, ooh, turn that off. <laughs> it was like F this, B, I mean, just everything you could you could think of, and, and uh, it's, it's just crazy because what you see in Kanye's life, and you've got Christians bashing them and be like, man, we need to be careful, and I totally get that. Like, I, you, here's, a, here's the thing, right? You, you want to see patterns in people's lives, yeah. right? But at the same time, we need to celebrate what God is doing. Yes. 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 See, some, some of us are f- Pharisees. We don't celebrate what, what Jesus is celebrating. An, an arm, like an arm was healed in front of Pharisees and they were focused on the day it was done than what Jesus did right in front of them. We gotta make sure that we're seeing the miracle. We celebrate the miracle of what God is doing. And so basically this, Kanye was a secular rapper, married Kim Kardashian, that's an indictment on your character. <laughs> but uh, but, and, but and anyway, married her, but, but had this, I mean, by his own admission, like has become a Christian. And is saying things like, what Kim wears grieves me. Saying that about his wife. Like the sexual sinful stuff she's wearing, it's grieving him. He put out a brand new album, like Jesus is King. And honestly, I would not typically say this about Kanye West stuff. But it's a pretty dope album. There's a lot of Jesus in it. There's a whole, I mean, it's all about Jesus. But what, what I am excited about and what I think we need to take note of is he did, did not profess Jesus like so many other rappers do. There has, he didn't just accept the grace. The grace has started to work itself out in his lifestyle where there is fruit of his repentance. There, there is lifestyle changes. There is disciplines that are being changed. He's moved to Wyoming. Because he, he once, he, he said, L.A., I drive by, I see billboards of, of you know, naked women, and, and, and all. he just says, I, I need to get away and get focused. So the change in Kanye's life hasn't just been with his lips, hasn't just been with his receptance or with his receptivity of God's grace. It has been with the fruit of his works, seen out with his lifestyle. Seen out with his music. And I mean, here's the, here's the thing. We're celebrating that, and we want to give Kanye time. 
like to, but to, you know, but, to, but also do, he's trying to figure his way out in front of the whole world. Imagine your journey being broadcasted on every news agency. Imagine your journey, how jacked up, messed up you are in your journey being displayed out. Need to make sure we pray for him and not criticize him. Okay? And I'm not trying to make this all about kind, but what I'm saying is, is that I love the fact of because you can tell it's not a cheap grace to him. It's a grace that says, I receive what you've done, but now with the fruit of my works, with my life, there's going to be a reorientation around this, this submission to Jesus. If there's anything the church needs today, it is a resubmission and a reorientation of our lives to what it costs to following Jesus. And that's why part of following Jesus isn't tra- trying harder, it's training better. And with training, there are disciplines. Certain disciplines and practices that I could, you know them. Read your Bible. I know, John. Pray. I know. Yeah. Give. Yeah, I've heard that. Serve. Yeah, whatever. Like community, people are dumb. You know, it's like you can, you know, like all of these disciplines that you like know and that I could preach on and you've probably heard about and you know you should do and you've tried them, but they, maybe you've just misunderstood the purpose of them. Maybe you've said, well, these things I do to be a good person, realizing it's not what you do that makes you a good person. It's what Jesus did on the cross in your place for your sin that makes you a good person. And now the point of your, of, of your life is to do those disciplines to transform you and shape you into the whole point of your life, which is now becoming like Jesus. Maybe you've just misinterpreted the point of spiritual disciplines. Richard, Richard Foster, he gives... A couple great quotes. One of them is this. He said, God has given us the disciplines of the spiritual life as a means of receiving his grace. The disciplines allow us to place ourselves before God so that he can transform us. He also said this here. He says, a farmer is helpless to grow grain. All he can do is provide the right conditions for the growing of grain. He cultivates the ground, plants the seed, waters the plants, and then the natural forces of the earth take over and comes up the grain. This is the way it is with the spiritual disciplines. They are a way of sowing to the spirit. By themselves, the spiritual disciplines can do nothing. They only get us to the place where something can be done. Disciplining our lives around certain practices and disciplines literally takes us and puts us before God so he can change and transform us. And maybe you've been saying, well, I'm doing these disciplines so I can earn something. You're not doing them to earn nothing. Jesus has already earned everything. Disciplines are seriously about putting you before God and saying, God, I'm reorienting my life around my decision to place you as Lord in my life. And you reorient your life like a certain athlete does when they say, I want to run a marathon. They reorient their life around that task. Here's the thing, right? We all struggle with things we do and things we don't do. Sin isn't just what we do, it's what we don't do. Some of y'all just think sin is what you don't do. No, sin isn't just what you do, it's what you don't do. And sin ultimately brings death. So here's the thing, right? There are certain disciplines. Worship team, y'all, or I don't know, some, some will come up, man. It's already 10.06. I gotta finish up. But here's the thing. There are disciplines of engagement and disciplines of restraint. Where, here's the thing, there are certain things you struggle with not doing, so God puts in place disciplines so you will start doing these things that you don't do. But then also, too, there are things you do do 
too much of that you need to be doing less of. So there are, there are disciplines of engagement and disciplines of restraint that help shape and form you to be a certain person. Here's the thing, disciplines of engagement. A couple of them are, are scripture reading. Where you're, you, you're disciplined, you're smart, and you're saying, God, I, I, God's communicated to us through imperfect people, and he's communicated to us about himself through a book. And this is what we preach out of every single week. This is what we believe is God's inspired word. And we believe part of being a Christ father is reorienting your, your life and saying, God, help me to speak to you through this book. Prayer, like prayer isn't just going to God and telling him your wish list like he's Santa Claus. He's not some genie you rub the right way so you can get him to work on your behalf. Prayer is communication with your father. You know, scripture says Jesus withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Scholars say this, he might have spent almost up to a year of his life in silence, solitude, and prayer with his father. It's mentioned so many times in scripture. He was shaped by his communion with his father and by getting himself out of the normal routine and the craziness of the crowds that wanted something from him. He realized he had nothing to give them if his father wasn't pouring into him. Serving, like y'all think we just want, to, we're, we're begging y'all to, to be on teams. Please be on a team. But he's saying it's a small discipline to say, I'm gonna serve in my church two Sundays per month, two services per month. It's a small discipline to put into place. How can you serve your family, your workplace, or the world if you won't even take some time and serve in your church family? It's a small discipline that breeds discipline. Giving, that's my money. You know what the bottom line, if you won't give your money, you won't give your life, y'all. Y'all think, oh, they just need money. Here's Pastor John begging us. Look, here's the bottom line. If there comes a point in your life where you have to die for your faith, if you won't part with your money, you will never part with your life. It's not about getting something from you. It's trying to shape and form you and to be a certain kind of person. It's training. It's not trying, y'all. It's, it's training. Community. Y'all, you know, yeah, y'all, we ask you to like get in a group and, and be in group and relationship with people. Well, people suck. People are crazy. Yeah, they are. They're crazy, just like you. It's like all of us. We all need help. We all need grace. But how can you learn to have grace if you're not in a community with people that need grace? Here's the thing, disciplines of, disciplines of restraint. Think about it, fasting. Like some of you, what would change your life is if you had the uh, the ability to say no. You know what fasting does? It teaches you to say no. It's not just so you can be holy and great by not eating food. The purpose of it is when, you're, is when your stomach, your biological stomach's like, feed me. And you're like, no, I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna read the word. I'm gonna spill something in that's spiritual. With what, it's, what you're saying is my flesh isn't gonna rule me. And, and some of you, you're saying yes to certain forms of sexual practices and sexual relationships that you're like, I wish I could say no. Maybe your next step is fasting because you need a discipline of disengagement and saying no. Sabbath, like some of you, y'all never take a day off to just let God like handle some stuff for you. Because honestly, the purpose of Sabbath, God put it in, in there so you wouldn't rule the world to let you know you're not that important. To, 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 
to let you know, and I'm just being candid here, that if you go, the world will go on. And Sabbath is a day that you're supposed to enjoy. You're supposed to do what you love doing. You love eating? Well, eat it. Well, eat it. Eat, you know, eat up. Listen to some great music. Watch some great shows. Like, it's like Sabbath is your day to celebrate the fact of you don't rule the world. Some of you don't leave room for God to move. I'm convicting myself here. This is me. I said this to our staff on Tuesday. I said, sometimes I feel like I do so much, I don't give God room to actually move. Because I'm like, hey, God, thanks, but I, you know. Here's the thing, you have, you have disciplines of engagement and disciplines of restraint. Really quick, I'm killing my time here. Sorry. I'm gonna give you five quick things. <laughs> let's, go through, let's go through these quick, all right, about wise, about wise training. I'm gonna give you some wise training practical tips here. Ready, one, wise training understands the investment. Wise training understands the investment, meaning Meaning this, you understand that it is a reorientation of your life. And this will uh, affect your schedule. It will affect your budget. It, it will affect those things precious to you. But here's the, here's the thing. You understand the fact that if you're going to live a certain kind of life that Jesus had, you got to have certain kind of disciplines in place that Jesus had also. It's not about trying. It's training. Secondly, wise training starts small. Some of y'all, y'all don't need to be trying to read the whole stinking Bible. You need to be trying to read like a book of the Bible. Start with a chapter. Like wise training starts small. If you're gonna, if you, the most you've ran is from your fridge to the, from your couch to the refrigerator. You don't probably need to be even going out running a mile. You need to go out and run a half mile, and respect the process. Small things done over a long period of time make a big difference. If you've read one chapter of the Bible per day, that's 365 chap, chap, chapters. Wise training starts small. Scripture actually says, don't despise, don't despise small beginnings. Don't despise them, y'all. Third, wise training understands ups and downs. Y'all, it's gonna suck. Like training isn't all fun. But at the same, same time, you understand going into this, there's gonna be ups and downs, there's gonna be failures, there's gonna be all of those things, but you understand the stages of excitement, disillusionment, adjustment, and growth. Fourthly, wise training does better together. That's why we encourage you, get together with some sisters, get together with some brothers, get together with some people. Yeah, but I don't know them. Yeah, it's... You gotta get out of your comfort zone, y'all. Why do you think CrossFit is taken off? Because it's community driven. Why do you think I'm in Jungle Gym that is every class there's seven or eight other people there? Because when I'm stinking done doing pull-ups, I got no offense, but females doing pull-ups. And I'm like, oh no! She's doing it, I'm doing it. You know, they push me beyond what I feel like I'm capable on my own. They help me train better. Also, fifthly, and this is the final point here. Wise training understands, or wise training begins with a clear decision and ultimate goal. Some of y'all today, your, your decision, you need to make a decision that I'm not gonna try anymore, I'm gonna train. And that's gonna require me to put in place disciplines in my life to see this sort of lifestyle that I want to see happen. And also to you understand the ultimate goal isn't, is for you to become like Jesus, y'all. It's not for you to become a good person because because of what Jesus did, you received that by grace through through faith. You're, you're already good, not because of what you know, because of what Jesus did. And now these disciplines bring out who you already are and you live up to who the person you already are in Jesus' eyes. Stand up with me. 
Thank you again for joining us on the Lifehouse Newport News Podcast. If you're ever in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love for you to join us at one of our live worship experiences at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Kiln Creek Movie Theaters. Until then, feel free to check us out at www.theaterchurchnn.com or on any social media platform. Thank you so much, and God bless.